Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast. I want to give a quick introduction because some of you are new to the podcast because you're following along on my journey through the Bible. But what I typically do on Sundays is I teach a class at my church and I will record that and I will put it on the podcast. Now I haven't been teaching the last few weeks, so there's been nothing on Sundays, but we're back. It's a brand new series entitled Difference Makers. We're going to look at six words that I believe that if we can make a part of our life and our character, it will help us to make a difference in this time period that God has given us to live. And so this week is week one. We're looking at the word genuine. And without further ado, here is this week's first study. Let's go to Luke 14. That's where we're going to be for the new series, Luke 14. The series is called Difference Makers. And as I said in the opening last week when we were kind of pitching these series is, is our country needs difference makers. I think we've kind of realized that our politicians are not going to make the kind of wide change that's needed to see revival in our country today. I don't think sports figures are going to make the type of difference that they think they're going to make when they post on their social media feeds and everything and think they're going to change the world. They're not going to make the difference. So who is going to make the difference in our society today, and I tend to believe, based on the Bible, that the difference makers are going to be God's people. And I don't think that it's going to be, I don't think we have to be a LeBron James to have all of the followers that he does, or Kardashians and all the followers that they have in order to make a difference. I think we can make a difference today in our lives. And if we make a difference in people's lives here in Cunard and Cloverdale and Poland and Greencastle and Martinsville and other areas, if we can make a difference there, Reelsville, I don't know about those people, but no. Okay, all right. But if we can make a difference in those places, it spreads. Now, when I think about making a difference, I go, I still think about sports. And there's people that make a difference on a team, although I've kind of criticized the sports figures for not making the big difference in our society as they want, and they're not necessarily a good change. They've made some bad things, maybe. But when you, if you understand sports, whether you like sports or not, the person that's going to make a difference, let's say on a basketball team, is the one that's in the game. If you got, let's say, four seconds left in a game, you got five guys or girls out there on the court those five are the ones that's going to make a difference. Now, the one that's sitting over here by the water bottles, the 12th person or t- over here sitting down, to be kind in our need-to-be-kind society, they can make a difference through encouraging others, being a good teammate, all of that. I'm not minimizing that. But they're not going to make a difference on that scoreboard in the next four seconds, are they? One of those five people are going to make the difference in the next four minutes, in four seconds. That's kind of how I view this when I think about what we're going to discuss. I want to be, and I hope that you would want to be, spiritually speaking, one of those ones that are active in the game making a difference. And not a Christian that sits on the sideline, maybe cheering some others on, but doing nothing to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Because... Though, if I want it, my illustration breaks down and that we do want to encourage the people that are the 12th man on the bench, and they do, and I tell my girls all the time in their basketball, you better cheer your teammates on and you better encourage them whether you're playing or not. So all my illustration breaks down at that point. 
But when we get to heaven one day, God is not going to say, hey, the way you really cheered on so-and-so, here you go. No, he's going to say, why didn't you serve me? I've given you my grace. I saved you. And so we want to be difference makers. So today, though, when we're talking about difference makers, we're going to look at one certain word. And I'll tell you that word in a second. But let me start with this illustration. Because I got my two daughters here. They chose to come to dad's class. I did not bribe them. I did not tell them they had to. But so I'm going to use them as an opening illustration. All right, girls, these two are poor because we don't give them any money. But so let me ask you girls right here, would $500, and I couldn't ask Jim, $500 is nothing, I'm sure, to Jim. But if I were to say to you two, I will give you $500 today. I have $500 in my pocket. I am going to give it to you because you came to my class today and I appreciate it. Will $500 make a difference in your life? Pretty good difference for a teenager. I mean, hey, $500 make a difference in my life right now, right? So right here in front of everybody, as a good dad, I'm going to give $500. I'm only going to give it to Mariah, and if she chooses to share with you, it's the elder. It's kind of the Old Testament biblical thing, all right? So you get the birthday. So Mariah, you get $500 today, all right? Here it is. Why would you guys laugh? I'm going to give her $500. Everybody laughed, though, as soon as I pulled that $500 bill out. I just said I want to make a difference in my, my daughter's life, and you guys are laughing at me. Why would you be laughing at me? Because it is, oh, you give all of it to her. Look at how kind she is. Because it's monopoly money. It's not, and here's our word today, genuine. It's not genuine. It, I have all of the intention in the world to make a difference in her life right now, but I gave her something that's not genuine. She comes into the store today afterwards. Maybe she's like, hey, Dad, thank you so much. For, maybe she's lived a pretty sheltered life. And Dad, thank you so much for $500. Can you take me to the Dollar Tree? Can I go splurge? And I'm like, all right, come on. And she goes into the Dollar Tree and she takes up, she buys all kinds of candy and she goes up to that counter and she looks at him and gives him the, my dad gave me this and they give her the $500 and I'm just standing back there going, that guy's going to look at me and go, who is this family? They're crazy. Because everybody knows you can't use Monopoly money to make a difference buying anything. But here's the sad part and where the illustration goes. Here's where this all falls apart. A lot of times in our lives, in our Christian lives, we talk about making a difference, but we don't live a genuine life. We're Monopoly money in a Christian world where Monopoly money is not going to make a difference. What do I mean by this? I'm going to talk about two things today. I'm not going to spend as much time on the first point. I'm going to spend the rest of my time on the second point. But I want to talk today about being genuine. Because I believe that if you and I are going to make a difference in people's lives, we have to be genuine. First of all, we've got to be a genuine child of God. I'm not going to take this first point to try to convince any of you that you're not saved. Because, number one, I don't like that. Number two, you know, between you and the Lord, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're trusting in your baptism, then you may not be saved. Because baptism doesn't get you to heaven. If you're trusting in your good works, it's not gonna, that's, I, I hope that you understand that the only way that you are getting to heaven is a genuine salvation that comes only as the Bible teaches, which is through Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he was buried, and he rose again. And you and I, when we place our faith in that, it's simply faith. 
I'm placing my faith in a completed work on the cross, and I'm trusting him. I'm admitting of my sin. I'm believing on Jesus. I confess my sin. I ask him to save me. According to the book of Romans, according to all of the different passages in the Bible, that when we call upon him, he will save us. That's salvation. I was 11, 12 when that happened to me. My question for you, and just a rhetorical question, but can you think of a, the time or a time period when you made that decision? Are you a genuine child of God? Now, a genuine child of God will result in fruit. As I've said in this class, you could probably quote me in this, right? Here's what I'm about to say. I am not a fruit what? Does anybody know what I've said? Yes. Inspector. Inspector. Some of you listen. If no one would have got it, I'd have said this class never listens to me, all right? I'm not a fruit inspector. I'm supposed to be a fruit bearer. I took that from Carrie Schmidt, but I like it, all right? So I'm coining it. So I'm not a fruit inspector. So I shouldn't go around saying, I haven't seen a lot of fruit in your life, Cindy. I'm just not sure you're saved. It's not my goal. It shouldn't be what I be. Now, I may have my own personal opinions. Me and, me and Shell may be talking. She's like, what do you think about old Cindy? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Now, probably shouldn't do that. But you all, we can form opinions. But we're not to be fruit inspectors. But if you are genuinely saved, you will bear fruit. The Bible says that. You're going to bear fruit. There's going to be a change in your life. One of the most clear pictures to me is my Uncle Perry. And sometimes working in the bank now, people will come in, and uh, especially, specifically one guy that grew up with my Uncle Perry. And he'll say, oh, I knew your Uncle Perry. And I always know where this is going to go. Now, he's not going to tell too many stories. But I'd already heard enough from Dad in a very kind way that I knew that Uncle Perry had a rough kind of teenage years. He was a tough guy. He was a rough guy and probably did some things that uh, he didn't ever want his nephew to know about. And... Uh, I may know about some of them now because that guy comes in the bank, but, but he was a rough guy. But when, he, when, I, when I tell him, I said, hey, did you hear what happened to my Uncle Perry, though, in the 90s? He'd be like, oh, what happened to him? Did he find religion or something? I said, well, yeah, he met Jesus Christ. He got saved. His life totally changed. He said, I thought I heard something about that. And to me, though I didn't see all of that, but I saw and I remember vividly the change in his life. Now, being when I was pastor for a while, I would see that in some others' lives. But on the flip side, there were others I would see that they, they, they prayed a prayer and they came a few times and then I never saw them again and they were back doing their old things. And you know what that leaves in my mind? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I'm not the judge. But it's one of those where it's like, we'll see when we get to heaven. I don't know. Now, that's a person to me that's sitting on the bench on the sidelines and they're not going to make a difference because genuineness is hard to tell. I, I just don't know. And sometimes, I, and now that I'm careful because this is on the podcast and some listen to it, but some you know people I work with, you, you, you see all kinds of stuff that they say and do. And the next thing you know, when you're talking about church, like, oh, yeah, I love God. I go to church. I'm like, whoa, I did not see that plot twist coming right there because I didn't hear anything about God in anything in the last five years. So it's, it's, there's, but genuineness is what's going to make a difference. I didn't say weirdness. I didn't say being a jerk, but being genuine, loving God. Are you genuine in your faith? You, it will result in fruit, a change in your life, and you, it will also involve a sensing of the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. That's what brings about the change and awareness of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to get to today is not just talking about genuineness of your salvation. If you're here at 10 o'clock on a snowy day, that doesn't make you saved. But I'm assuming that there's been a time in your life when you've trusted Christ as your Savior. 
But the next one I want to talk about today is this, being a genuine disciple. Now, get this phrase right here. All disciples of Christ are children of God, but not all children of God are disciples. You know what I mean by that? So all disciples will have to be a child of God, but not all children of God are disciples. Which is basically saying there are some that are saved, but they're not following Jesus Christ. Now, that's a tricky situation because then some would just say, well, they're not saved at all. No, I just mean they're doing enough. They may even come to church every Sunday morning. I mean, they're doing enough to make you wonder, but they're not making a difference. They're not truly sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning. It's, a pro it's called discipleship. It is a choice. And that's we're going to show you the passage. We're in Luke 14 now. Let's just go ahead and I'll jump in here. I, I want to give us a few more introductory comments about this. So what is a disciple? Because we're going to hear Jesus talk about discipleship here. A disciple is a learner. It is someone who attaches himself or herself to a teacher in order to learn a trade or a subject. Right now we've got a junior loan officer at the bank. I give him a hard time. He graduated from Kansas State University. Little college kid. I forget how distant I am from college kids right now at this time in my life. And he's, so he's fun to be around. And he comes in with all kinds of... He looks dead tired. He's not probably going to bed till like 4 in the morning. And he's coming into work. And he's got a big person job now. And it's just fun to talk to him. He's a good kid. I think he works, But he's a junior loan officer. So you know what he does? He goes around with other loan officers and he just learns. He, can we say it for Bible terms? He sits at their feet and he's a disciple of loan officers. That's what he's doing in a sense. So he just sits, all, his job right now for eight hours a day is he sits in another loan officer's office and he just learns. He just watches and he does the dirty jobs that we don't want to do. We're like, you know what? I don't want to attach things. I don't want to scan things. Hey, Garrett, go attach and scan things for us. And he just does, he's learning at the feet, to use Bible terms, of a senior loan officer. That's what he's doing. That's the idea of a disciple. A disciple is someone that's learning at the feet of someone, but that's a, the most common name for the followers of Jesus Christ. It was used 264 times in the Gospels alone and the book of Acts. A disciple. And so a lot of times you'll hear us talk about, maybe in church, a discipleship class. All we're saying is we're trying to teach you the basics of Christianity to make sure that you are truly following, not, not truly saved. You're going to hear me pref, you're going to hear me say this all day. I'm not saying are you saved or not. I'm saying are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you following him and, and growing in your faith? So Jesus had a challenge for all of his followers, and it was one on discipleship to show some genuineness to him. And he's going to say some hard sayings that we're going to look at today to try to see how genuine they are. Look at verse 25, and we'll start reading some of them. And then I'll try to quickly go through them. Verse 25, he says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. So he has all these people following him, but he wants to see the genuineness. And so in verse 26, he said, If any man come, after, come to me and hate not his father and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Well, let's go ahead and just start right there. So, number one, if we're going to be a genuine disciple of Christ, we got to love Christ supremely. 
And don't get any crazy ideas. Don't go home today and say to your dad, hey, dad, I hate you. All right. Don't say to your wife or to your husband, hey, I hate you. And it's biblical. I found a Bible verse that I can finally tell you that I hate you. That's not what this Bible word means. That's what it means in our language. In our language, the word hate is something that's like, whoa. But in the Bible times, hate is referring to priority or to love less. And it's not necessarily, it's not at all an insult. Matthew, in Matthew 10, 37, He that loveth his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So he's not saying don't love your dad, don't love your brother, don't love your sister, don't love your spouse. He's saying don't love them above me. Love me supremely. Christ is to be the love of our lives. We are to put him first. And that's why he tells us here, you need to, the, the love that you have for me ought to be greater than you have for these human relationships. And you may say, well, that just seems kind of simple. I guess I am pretty genuine. Well, you know, it, it does happen a lot. We see father and mother that some people they say, well, you know what, I'm, this is what my, and this is a very careful situation, but this is what my parents say, so I have to do it. Well, what does the Bible say? Now, there's some extreme situations where parents are having kids steal and having kids do this. Well, no, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that we are to this. So choose that over, over your kids. Well, my spouse is doing this. So, no, no, no. Well, well, this person's really cute, though, so I want... No, no, no. Doesn't matter. Love Christ first. What does he say? He's the first priority in your life. We have to put him first. I remember... I remember a college-age student years ago, and they wanted to go to a Bible college and get into ministry, maybe be a missionary. And really growing, really excited, really on fire. And so we, um, we encouraged that. I was a youth pastor at the time. We encouraged that. We were making preparations for them to go. And then suddenly their mom and dad, who members, were members of the church, said, we don't want them to go that far away from us. We can't be that far away from our kids. A little bit of a clingy situation. They wouldn't let them go. It's an emotional thing. I know I may have some that, that it's going to be difficult, and I'm not saying that would probably happen, maybe even to some here in our church, but the danger is what was happening is they were saying, we're going to choose to keep our kids close instead of let them do what God has called them to do at this age of their life. It's not like they're 12-year-olds wanting to leave. They're 18. And the kids chose to say, well, if this is what mom and dad want, we're going to do that. And I do think there's some reverence there, but in this situation, it would have been a little bit different. And you know what happened? That kid, the one that specifically I'm thinking about, is, far as I know, nowhere near church today. And it, the, the parents are still in that church. We saw, you don't know the story, but we saw them recently when I was just up there. Sweet parents. The kids are nowhere near church. The reason I think that happened is because there was a time when at the basis of it, they said, we're, we're going, we need them close to us. We need them instead of letting them do what God wanted them to do. And so they chose a relationship over trusting God in that situation. And so if you and I are going to make a difference in people's lives, the first thing we have to do is we have to love Christ supremely. My responsibility to this generation that God, is, that God has wants us and put us in to make a difference is I've got to put Christ first. 
And that's what happens in, our, in our, my analogy here of those that are sitting on the bench and just fans of the Christian life. They're, they are not putting Christ first. They're putting their needs first. And we're going to get to that in a second. And so they're just cheering others on. Hey, I want you to make a difference. Jim, be really good if you could go make a difference in your area right there. All right. If you can make a difference, great. I don't think I'm ready for it yet. So I'm just going to sit on the sidelines, but I'm going to cheer you on. Listen, I'm thankful for encouragers. But God, which is going to be one of our words in a couple weeks, wants us to be doers as well. We've got to put Christ first in our lives. A genuine, he says, you've got to be willing to say that you, you hate or love less or less of a priority. Mother, father, wife, children, brothers, sisters, all of this. Or, he says, you, you cannot be my disciple. That's Jesus. He's not saying you cannot be saved. He's saying you're not really going to be a follower of me, one that sits at my feet and learns unless you're willing to put me first. Number two, let's look at verse 27. He says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. A genuine disciple not only loves Christ supremely, but a genuine disciple will take up his cross. Cross, is a, what he's referring to here is a daily identif identification with Christ. Are you willing to identify with Christ and maybe in shame? Maybe in suffering, are you willing to surrender to God's will? We were watching The Chosen last night, season three, with the family, all of us. And there was a scene, it, it, I don't want to, spoiler alert, all right, I guess, I don't know. I love The Chosen season three. Do you guys watch it? All right, I won't tell you too much. But there is a scene in which Jesus is in his hometown. If you've read the Bible, you know there's in Jesus' hometown it says that he could do no miracles there. They didn't believe him. And they have a scene where he's in the, their place of worship, their synagogue, and he, he gets asked to teach. And they got Lazarus. They call him Laz. It's hilarious. The, the, they call him, they use nicknames. It's great. But, and Jesus begins to speak, and, he's, and he basically says to him, I am the Messiah. And they want to kill him. They get mad. And they get furious. And Jesus had warned his mother in a very tender moment the night before. He said, it's, it's, about to, it's about to get difficult. And what he was saying is, I'm identifying with the will. I'm going to do the will of my father. And it's going to get difficult. And it did. Now, I love it, the part, because they... <sighs> spoiler again, all right? But they wanted to stone Jesus. But you know enough about the Bible that they're not going to kill Jesus, all right? He's going to wait till he gets to the cross. So that's kind of all of us, if we watch it, we're like, well, I kind of know where this is headed, all right? It's headed to a cross. So they all take him, and I was wondering what they're going to do, because they all take Jesus, and they get him out to a spot, and they're going to kill him. And then Jesus just says to him this in the, in the story. It's Hollywood, but it's good. And he says, you're not going to kill me right now. And he just walks right through, and I'm like, whoa, that's who I'm following right there, all right? That's who I'm following. It was great. It was a great moment. Now. What is happening, though? The, for those others, it got very tense. Why? Because if we are going to be a genuine disciple, we need to be willing to even suffer some shame. Sometimes we're not ready for that. It's easy to say we're Christian in this room because all of us are cheering each other on. But tomorrow when I go to First National Bank and you guys go to work, are we going to identify with Jesus? Or are we going to identify with the latest joke or the latest trend that's going on and just kind of blend in? If I just stay calm, no one's really going to care, and I can just kind of pray quietly. And 
I'm not, I don't think you get on your desk and you say, listen, everybody, I'm a Christian. All right. Just want you to know that. I don't necessarily think you got to be weird. Just be genuine. Everybody at the work knows I'm married to Michelle. You know why? Because I talk about her. I don't go around saying, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, I work, I live over there. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, she's, she's cool. You know, I don't act ashamed of her. If I did that, she would probably be like, you're dead. Chase, who works with me, like, you're a little weird. You're a terrible husband. No, you're just like, yeah, I got a wife. Her name's Michelle. Tell her all about it. And so, but we act sometimes ashamed of Jesus. Jesus said, hey, take up your cross. Be willing to suffer. The cross was a, was, was God, was a picture of God's will, but it was also a picture of suffering. It could be, in some cases, a picture of shame as they stripped him down there. And the question is, are we willing to do the will of the Father, suffer shame if need be, if God calls us to that. Are we willing to suffer if that's what God wants us to do? It's a, I think in some genuine part, part of this is if we are going to be a genuine follower of Jesus, we've got to daily submit to the will of God. Every day. God, I'm going to submit to you. So i got to keep moving. There's a lot here. I mean, there's lessons upon lessons in here, so I'm trying to give it kind of surface level here. But let's go to verse 28. He says, For which of you intending... So he kind of pivots here. He says, For which of you intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, and all behold, and begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. I thought that was going to happen to me yesterday, to start to take this light out and not be able to finish and have to call Aaron and say, hey, can you come over here and finish what I've started? I've got a mess here. I thought that's what was going to happen. But here's in this next story, it goes on down. I go to verse 31. He says, or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 men 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. So a genuine disciple, he is going to love Christ supremely. He's going to, he's going to, Take up his cross. I skipped one that was also back in verse 27. He's going to follow Christ. And by that, let's just re- say it real quick. What I mean by he's going to, genuine disciple is going to follow Christ is he's going to engage in the work that Jesus did. Jesus was compassionate to others. We ought to be compassionate to others. Jesus prayed for others. We ought to pray for others. We need to speak and act and live and love like Jesus did. Oh, if, if not, then are we really a genuine follower of Jesus? You see, a genuine follower is someone that learns at the feet of others. When I learned how to become a loan officer at the bank, they had me learn underneath Ashley, Matthew Langdon, Matthew's sister, Ashley. So I would sit in her office like that little junior loan officer, watch her do what she does. So, you know, a lot of the things that I do right now, when I do them wrong, I say, hey, that's how Ashley trained me, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but I just do what she does. Because that's how she trained me. I learned. Now, after you've done it for a while, now this is not applied to the Christian life. You can adjust some things and figure out what works for you. In the Christian life, you're learning from the greatest teacher there is. And so you sit at his feet and you learn and you speak and you act and you do like he does. We follow Jesus Christ. And the only reason we can do this, because remember, in your own strength you can't do this, but in our another series we talked about it, 
We can do that because now the great apprentice, the great teacher, resides within us, Christ in us. Remember when Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's the great thing about this, is the great teacher that we follow lives inside of us and every day can say, no, let's not do that. Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk to this person. And so the genuine, the teacher, we, if we're going to be a genuine follower of Christ, uh, if we're going to be genuine, we must be a follower of Christ. But if we're going to be genuine, we've got to count the cost. We read through those verses there. We've got to be willing to, to weigh the worldly attachments with the demands of Christ. It's not, the Christian life is, there are demands to it. There, it is going to be some difficult times. It is going to be some sacrifice. But weigh, count those costs. And I'm telling you what, if you count it honestly, it's going to be greater than anything that the world can offer you. But count the cost. He tells them this. Discipleship is going to involve some sacrificing. It's going to involve putting everything on the altar. The cost of not, not counting the cost is not being a disciple. You're not going to get to see the power of God in your life. You're not going to get to see, experience that God's peace and experience God's joy. And some of these that are shared testimonies of things that they've seen God do through them, you're not going to experience that if you're sitting over here on the bench. Difference makers experience that. And part of being a difference maker is being genuine and saying, it's, I'm not just going to church on Sunday mornings. I'm following Christ. I want to learn from Him. I, I want to know Him personally. I'm genuine in this. Got to count the cost. And then finally, I'll just say, the true disciple fulfills his purpose on this earth. In the last two verses, it says, Salt is good, but if salt had lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that had ears, let him hear. It's talking about salt. And salt had some purposes. I'll say them quickly. It was a preservative to keep things from decaying. So if you died right here, we'd throw some salt on you back in the Bible days. Keep you from decaying until we got done with class. Um, salt was a purifying agent. It would make things cleaner. It was used to clean things up. And then salt gave flavor. This is carried over to my wife because she takes salt and just goes like this and just pours all kinds of salt on her food. Her brother does the same thing. And so salt gives flavor. But when salt, it says, loses its flavor, it doesn't accomplish its purpose. It's good for nothing. So you're just throwing white stuff on there. If it's got no flavor, it's really not doing anything. And he's saying this, that when we as disciples... When we don't fulfill what God wants us to do, we're like salt with no flavor. It's pointless. And see, our purpose on this earth is to show Christ to this world. And if we want to make a difference, and I think about this as a competitive person. I like sports, but I didn't want to be a person on a team that didn't do anything. I just never wanted to be that. And so I tried to work hard and whatever I could. And sometimes successful, sometimes not. But I wanted to try to make a difference at least. And I think in this Christian life, and if you chose to do this class, then you want to be a difference maker. But if we're going to be a true difference maker, it starts. And the reason I started with this word is we've got to be genuine. We don't want to be $500 monopoly bills. It's not going to do anything. We can go around and tell people, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, I got $500. Look at this. You can go show it all around all you want. And people are going to look and say, okay, enjoy. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. And we can go around telling people, yeah, I'm a Christian. 
Let me help you. But if our life is not genuinely following Christ and it's not lining up with the Word of God, people are not going to take you serious. And you're not going to make a difference. And so in my heart, and I pray that in your heart, we would search it right now and as, as we think about this week one lesson, talking about being genuine, and just say, hey, am I genuine? Am I a genuine believer if I trusted Christ? I'm assuming you have. And am I genuinely want to follow Christ? Or am I just in Sunday school because, I don't know, I want to hang out with some people. I'm coming to church because I need a friend group that's a pretty good friend group. People do that, believe it or not. Or you say, you know what? I genuinely want to worship and know and love God. Let's pray.